0: In this episode.
1: Possibly it's time to reinvigorate the 80s kids franchise. We don't need to see this. We know. Rule one. Oh,
2: this is definitely uh, a reboot. We don't know uh, what to say about it. Uh, it's, it's, it leaves us speechless. Also, the trailer was bad. We all have to admit the trailer
1: was bad. Oh, it's so bad. Burn it off the ground. Rule number two. Hey, you know what? We can have toys, that's fine. But let's not, you know, service the toys. Let's just have them. Uh, You know, I I grew up on Spider-Man. I watched Spider-Man
2: cartoons as a kid. I know what Spider-Man is. I will go see a Spider-Man film. Uh, But it ain't Doctor Who. Put it that way. No, that doesn't work. Uh, Rule number
1: three. Justin,
2: what do you think about all this? You've been quiet for too long.
1: Stick everyone in black leather. Go away. I'm good. Thanks for all the hugs. I don't want to hurt this guy, but I've got to stop him doing stuff. Uh, As a matter of of, of public mental health? Yes, Ian, you were right on the internet one time. But at least you have your artistic integrity. And in Hollywood, isn't that the most important thing?
2: Welcome to the Inside of Your Head. It's kind of empty in here.
1: made it to show 2 of season 2 so uh, we'll call that an upside but i'm thinking that possibly it's time to reinvigorate the 80s kids franchise i think people are not happy with the way that 80s kid has been hitherto uh, particularly in season 2 episode 1 And I know Spider-Man told me that you can just reboot something as often as you like and nobody minds. So let's reboot the 80s kids right now. But even though we've rebooted, we've brought a lot of the classic features along. Like me, I'm Leo. I am one of the 80s kids. But I am not alone, for I am joined today by my regular cohort, Ian. How are you doing, Ian? I'm
2: very well, but I have have a bit of a problem, gentlemen, with all this rebooting that's going on. Perhaps we should discuss it.
1: Yes, I think that that is a a very good idea. And our special guest presenter, who you're going to think that this is like, hey, he's not a special guest. He was here last week, but it's Justin again, and we love to have Justin along for the ride. So let's all embrace Justin and say, hi, Justin, how are you? Oh, I'm good. Thanks for all the hugs.
2: Of all the Justins uh, I know, you are my favourite. <laughs> <Steady.
1: laughs> so uh, I don't think other Justin will actually even listen to these. So that's fine. You're probably safe here. You skipped um, the previous but- 118 editions. You think you can listen to this one? <laughs> so yeah, uh, we are this week, of course, talking about reboots because we've rebooted ourselves. Uh, we've come back. We've Essentially, we haven't really rebooted ourselves. It's pretty much business as usual here at 80s Kids Tower. We've decided that maybe we might, like, might to like to write some notes before we do a show. And we've decided we might like to concentrate, you know, on hooking things back to the 80s a bit more than maybe we used to. But I don't think that really constitutes a reboot, which begs the question. What does constitute a reboot? Natalie, I have here in my hand a little uh, little sheet of paper. That's a tissue. I can't really, I should have, if I was going to do Foley, I should have actually got some paper. Uh, But I have written a series of notes about what constitutes a reboot. Now, these are going to be controversial. And I imagine that when we discuss the movies in the reboot show, we're going to find that these rules get tested. But I think they're a good jumping off point. So one of the key questions that keeps coming up on the discussions I've seen online about reboots is what even is a reboot? Well, here are my four tests to see if something that you're looking at is a reboot or just some other kind of cash in. Rule one, the reboot must be a known quantity in the pop culture arena. So no original works here. Originality, people don't want to pay for it. Rule number two. The known quantity in question must be seen as a thing that happened once before, either because the last known installments were not well received or because a large amount of time has passed since that thing that's referenced was great and mighty. Rule number three, the reboot will self-consciously riff on the original whilst doing completely its own thing. And uh, rule number four, the final rule, is a secret rule that is known only to OCP employees. Oh, no, wait. The reboot must have an eye on a franchise. If they're just doing something one-off, it's a kind of weird remake or homage or something. I, I think, actually, to illustrate number four, Dark Shadows, the Tim Burton, I don't, I mean, maybe Tim Burton thought he was having an eye on a franchise, but I think most other people thought Dark Shadows was just like a a tip the wink to that old TV show that Tim Burton and Johnny Depp loved. Uh, Would you agree with that, gentlemen? Well, you know, I think when it comes to what
2: constitutes a reboot, it's a bit like uh, the sort of legal definition of what's obscene pornography. I know it when I see it, but it's (laughs) perhaps harder to define. Certainly, it's controversial, and with certain fans, uh, a reboot uh, feels strangely like their original films are being smothered by a pillow in old people's home, so some shady uh, people can inherit it all and, and do their nefarious things with it. And uh, that—that that, was—it's part of the disconnect we had with the Ghostbusters film. A, a reboot was it really necessary? Enough time had passed uh, that perhaps we didn't need to press the big reset button. The reboot that is celebrated, like uh, Battlestar Glatica, that had to be a complete, thorough reboot from the beginning, because there's no way you could just pick up that story a couple of decades later. Apart from anything else, we'd have to pretend that 1980 never happened. Uh, So, Justin, what to you constitutes a reboot? Well, uh,
0: the the point that's that's, uh, going around my head that Leo mentioned is the fact that it has to have an eye... For a franchise and that's kind of a debate when a film comes out how do you know they're having an eye for a franchise so ones I'll think of Ghostbusters you've mentioned uh horror-wise I could think of I wouldn't think that the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre was remade but I wouldn't call that a reboot despite a franchise being put on the back of it likewise nightmare on elm street and friday the 13th both for those are considered more reboots than remakes but we haven't seen any idea of a franchise coming from those
1: you bring up an interesting thing which actually you've managed to segue me straight into the next part of this which is a sort of a genealogy of the reboot The granddaddy of all reboot, or reboots, I think, the first thing, and I don't think anyone at the time used the word reboot. I don't think it was probably uh, in common parlance at the time when this event took place. But the first time that a franchise, as far as I can tell, was ever properly rebooted was in the 70s, and it was James Bond, because they switched the main actor from Sean Connery to Roger Moore. And indeed, this was, I think this is the proto- Thing of, I think that people were very conscious that it was a problem that everybody identified Sean Connery as uh, James Bond. Um, I mean, of course, Ian, you will have your own ideas about uh, on television about where that kind of reboot thing came in, will you not? Well, yes, there is there is a particular series,
2: although this could definitely be said to be that particular series that was that was in two thousand and five could be said to be a soft reboot. Which is the reboot the fans all like, which is totally acknowledges the past stories as having happened, and and yeah, then um, go, well, and things. The format of that particular science fiction show, uh, shall we say, is very adaptable to just hey, let's just change, just just change all the people
1: involved and move on. So, yeah, right, okay. But, but, this, what's so, interesting to me, what's interesting to me about what you just said there is, I would say that would not the switch from Hartnell to Troughton be a kind of a reboot? It like, was. the first time it, it happened. It was a cross in the
2: Rubicon, because, up until, because they'd been discussing with Changing Hartnell for a very long time, uh, before they eventually did. In fact, there were, there were even a few attempts to do so in earlier stories, using plot conveniences around at the time for switching out the actor. The thing is, though, at the time, recasting the Doctor meant somebody else donning the white wig. And carrying on with everyone pretending he, you know, that was it was the same guy. Whereas you stick in Troughton and there's no pretense whatsoever. He's supposed to look like the same person. Everyone acknowledges a big change has happened, and he's the same person, but he's different. And it's that embracing of to, the totality of change, and allowing the actor to uh, approach the role in their own way, on their own strengths, that is the long, secret of, of its longevity. You talked about James Bond. Roger Moore was not the first replacement for Sean Connery. George Lazenby was the first replacement for James
1: Bond. Oh, of course he was, but that didn't really work out. It didn't work out.
2: Yes, but they reverted back to Sean Connery again for one more movie after him. But in the movie where they did replace him, they they literally shrouded him in the iconography of Sean Connery. The opening sequence is an hourglass where you can see clips from all the previous movies pouring through it there's a scene in James Bond's office where he's opening the drawer and it's full of memorabilia and things from his old girlfriends from the previous movies. So they were they were seriously trying to anchor down this idea. It's definitely the same guy. Even though there's a in cheek throwaway line from Lazerby at the beginning where it goes, this wouldn't have happened to the other guy. Um, so I think they, they, there's no... You say it's a reboot. At the same time, it's like... Yes, there's, there's a different tonal feel with the Roger Moore movies... Uh, because he was much more, he was playing a much more lighter touch than Connery was. Certainly not Connery's burning masculinity uh, was not present. So, even though there was a tonal shift, I don't think there was any, any sense that these were supposed to be a separate body of work. In fact, in Fiore's only, uh, James Bond. Kills Blofeld in the opening sequence, having just put flowers on his wife's grave, and his wife was the wife that was killed in the George Lazenby movie. It's only it's only until Daniel Craig is the only point you can definitively say, "Oh, this is definitely uh, a reboot." Until then, despite, despite the fact that time is moving on awkwardly, and James Bond never seems to age, uh, it, you are supposed to kind of pretend it's still contemporary, like comic
1: books. Comic books. It's but I do think, well, but, but I do think that. Uh, other reboots have made this a contentious ground. And I think that in the genealogy of the reboot, uh, possibly the thing that you're kind of circling as a as a reboot, as a sort of template reboot, is what happens in horror franchises. And horror franchises are the first ones that really do kind of go, uh, we've kind of painted ourselves into a corner here, guys. Hey, how about we just etch-a-sketch end of the world and start as if everything hasn't happened yet? In fact, when I was doing my historical what's happened in the last, you know, few decades as a as a reboot, we have Doctor Who, we have James Bond, and then the first time it significantly becomes a thing is 1990s sort of remake of Night of the Living Dead. And in fact, The Evil Dead 2 could also be seen as a sort of reboot of the Evil Dead franchise because he kind of does the first movie again in the first 15 minutes but changes all the characters this is he is sam Raimi in this case obviously but yeah i think horror films or the horror cinema milieu is yeah it's fine you can just start again from fresh if you want and i think possibly part of that uh, i'm now looking at my list of films that could be cast reboots dracula has some form for this because they keep i mean essentially they called it straight remake but People doing their own angle on Dracula is almost like a, a thing, you know. Yeah, you could just do your own version of Dracula. Nobody won't mind about that. It's kind of repertory. But because that's in the horror genre, people just go, hey, you know what they do with Dracula. Why don't we just do that with Jason, Freddy, Pinhead, whatever. Justin? It's interesting that you pick up on that because, I mean,
0: the horror genre as a genre, especially in the 80s, was well-known for its long-running franchises. That's kind of how it made its money. But it's interesting within those franchises, one particular one I'm thinking of at the moment, but they would actually reboot within those franchises as sequels. So Friday the 13th did it a, a number of times softly, but the one that's probably the most jarring is Friday the 13th Part 9, the final Friday, which within it... so. Part eight is Ghost of Manhattan. Again, we see Jason die. He's dead. He gets killed. I think toxic waste gets thrown over him. Yet in number nine, he's alive and well. And there's no explanation as to why. It doesn't link back to any of them whatsoever. It just kind of starts as in an expectation. You know that Jason exists. And then boom, there he is. And then off we go again.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, this is where we've got this sort of uh, triumvirate of, of historical Sources and horror as a whole, as a genre, it sort of makes it acceptable to people that you can just sort of do, you know, rip it up and start again if you want. Now, when I was researching this, I found that the first place that this became a popular currency term for something you've done to a franchise or a movie is 2005, Batman Begins. That is a film that even the studio were like, yeah, you know, like all that stuff with the neon lights and Joel Schumacher and Arnie doing quips and George Clooney and bat nipples? We're just going to throw that out, but it's still Batman, all right? Which actually, now that I come to look at my rules, is Batman Begins in no way self-consciously riffs on the original. Because there is no original. The original is a comic book. The original source is something else. So in movies, yeah, Batman Begins doesn't have Bruce Wayne pull like a a, a a sort of chest plate with rubber bat nipples out the chest go what was i thinking he doesn't do that nolan just goes yeah forget this it's not i'm doing this yeah,
2: you kind of have to again it's because like you say it's not like the uh 90s movie tim burton was the origin text it's from a comic book series and so sweeping away the uh burton uh, other guy movies uh, uh, is it clears the decks. It gives you creative freedom to suddenly play with the, the full range of characters you've got to get. Otherwise you're to contend with the fact that the Joker is dead, the Penguin is dead, the Catwoman is probably dead. Uh, you know you've got some kind of Jim Carrey-esque actor needs to be hired to do the Riddler. Just dispose of all that and, and also we it had it, it also going for a very different tonal approach. I think everyone was, was okay with it being... Because it had also been a very long time and Batman and Robin had left such a sour taste that I think, in that case, it was burn it off the ground wasn't, um, wasn't going to be badly received by people, especially if they're going to take Batman seriously, which is what the fans really love. Well, that, yeah. had, to,
0: that had to happen. I mean, Batman begins the reboot... Bear in mind that its predecessor, Batman and Robin, literally killed superhero movies for years. Everyone, everyone liked the Tim Burton Batman. Then they kind of brought it up into the, hey, let's make it a bit more comic book. But they went too far with it. And everybody just went, what is this? After that, there was a dearth of superhero movies. Nobody would touch them. They weren't financially serious. And It was only when Batman Begins came back along it actually started to make some money again and then everyone started investing well that's not
1: quite true it. i mean we had x-men x-men 2 spider-man spider-man 2 all of these things came up before and they i mean spider-man particularly was finally we have a spider-man movie people like that but what um, batman it, it was dc it killed dc's comic book movie division they really but, didn't have a clue what to do and, at that point, and, and, that, and that's true but
0: then when you, you talk about x-men let's look at x-men for a moment so the x-men are they all dressed up. But they look like they're in their comic book costumes. No, well, yes, you know, was like, it. they went. Oh my god, Batman, the Tim Burton one. That works. Stick everyone in black leather. Otherwise, it's not going to work as a superhero movie.
1: Well, yes, I think that's definitely a very good point. In fact, Batman got rebooted twice, let's not forget, except one of them was like a soft reboot. Batman Forever was, to all intents and purposes, a reboot. And I've always blamed uh, McDonald's for this because they were, had the deal to do the toys. And I believed that at that time they coined the word toyetic to describe what they wanted to happen to Batman in order for them to sell Happy Meals. In fact, what's responsible for the use of the word toyetic is Star Wars. Because famously, Star Wars uh, wanted to have toys, uh, and they went around all of the major uh, toy manufacturers. And none of them wanted to make Star Wars toys. What's this Star Wars thing? But the one. Kenner, who eventually got the the, uh, rights to make those toys, the reason part of the reason they managed to sell it to Kenner was because the CEO of Kenner had already made that word to talk about things in the world that presented the potential to make lots of toys of them. So he said so everybody became famous. Star Wars is toyetic. And that's how film and toy, the toy industry found their common point is that they meet up where things are toyetic. And so when the guy at the studio, Warner Brothers, said, Oh, yeah, this Batman with Tim Burton is finer, Elephant, but it's not very toyetic, he was me- using a word that had been coined to describe the way that Star Wars was. And that's exactly what Schumacher was tasked with doing. So we've got a reboot based on a franchise. Uh, being remodelled to be more like a franchise that already had plenty of potential to be a big toy commercial. So it's it's really weird how these things come about. And then, of course, when Batman Begins comes along, what they're doing is saying, hey, you know what? We can have toys. That's fine. But let's not, you know, service the toys. Let's just have them. I brought Spider-Man there. Of course, Spider-Man is famous for having been rebooted twice in the last, you know, Twenty years i think at the time amazing spider-man was like uh yeah all right that's not as bad as it could have been i mean when people heard that they were going to take all the sam raimi stuff get rid of it and reboot it and it was like four years later or something it was like uh really can we really reboot this anyway so actually that's not as bad as i thought it could be
2: rebooting yeah? spider-man was unpopular even inside sony there was yeah. a, a frustration about it
1: Yeah. um, But then what's really interesting about it is that then they've cut this deal with Marvel Studios and Spider-Man is now loaded in the MCU and we have this new Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man Homecoming. And I've watched that now twice. And then I went back and watched my Amazing Spider-Man for this because that's the first the famous Spider-Man reboot. Oh, it's so bad. It's like when you actually... It's like, it's, it's kind of a bit better than Spider-Man 3. And that's, you've hit that nail on the head. You see, the problem is, the, these robots all, all come about when
0: you have get a sequel that's so terrible that it's embarrassing. Spider-Man 3 was embarrassing to watch. It was so bad. And then Amazing Spider-Man, it came out. And like you said, you didn't come away of it being blown away. You thought, okay, that's an okay kind of superhero action movie. They got Peter Parker right, I feel, in fact of being a college kid and sort of thing but but then again but it was like a stepping stone they could have gone on to do something else and then they made the amazing spider-man 2 which yeah. is even
1: worse than Spider-Man well, three. the seeds of destruction were in amazing spider-man to be honest when you say they got peter parker right i would completely disagree with that what i realized was oh my god because when you the point is that you don't when you compare him to toby Maguire, toby Maguire then down a route where he ended up like oh creepy spider-man i don't like that (laughs) and so when andrew garfield comes up and he was to be fair he was really good like i mean there's a part of him which is really embraces the spirit of it and that's why he and i would put this in this way got away with what he did but it wasn't good because then you skip forward to homecoming and when you and when there's like marvel studios have come in and gone That's what Spider-Man Peter Parker looks like. And that's how he acts at the school. And you go, oh, yeah, you're right. In the modern world, it's not like the 60s Spider-Man, but it's a modern Spider-Man who totally makes sense. Peter Parker makes sense. Spider-Man makes sense. It's all good. And then you compare it with the gangly, cool skateboarding like he's got this thing. Emma Stone just actually just kind of of likes him and he kind of accepts that straight away and all of this kind of stuff. Like the new Spider-Man doesn't know what to do with girls. He's got no idea. He's kind of, you know, to the point of being crushingly sweet. Yeah, this Spider-Man, the amazing Spider-Man, Peter Parker is people did complain about this at the time and I kind of brushed it off, but in retrospect, he's too cool to be Spider-Man, straight off yeah. the bat. Yeah, too, I guess you are, right. Too cool, too tall. When he does the bit, which I really kind of like the first time around, where he finds the car thief and he's riffing with him and, and doing you know witty badinage and all this kind of stuff, you compare it to the Homecoming version where it's all this nerdy humour, where even the criminals are like, this guy's a real geek and you're like no you're still too cool amazing spider-man you're too amazing that's your problem you're too amazing ian spider-man thoughts uh homecoming spider-man i thought it was it is somewhat sacrilegious
2: it it was i was quite relieved they broke him from the guilt of his dead uncle and that kind of like oh that opens up a bit of fresh air in it There is a sense of you know, he's excited to be Spider-Man. He's, he, to me, he
1: wants to do it. He's, he's buzzed about it. He wants to reach and be this hero. Uh, well, and what's so- really interesting about it is that because they start, you know, you were presuming it's a little way after, you can see that that character may have had a bit of a bum-out time when he was like, it, it could have happened, but it's in the past. We did that, and, and this- now we're doing
0: it. Yeah, and that's a very interesting thing. Because Spider-Man has been rebooted so many times in such a short space of time, they realise, very astutely, we don't need to go down the origin route. You've seen it so many times. If we throw out another origin movie, then the reboot won't work yeah. because people will just get fed up with it.
2: Out there on the internet, there is a video which has like multiple screens on it. And it's uh, it's like a, eight different versions of Batman's parents being killed. And they're all synchronized, and it, it, it's like it's like we don't need to see this. We know. Uh, I don't think <laughs> Uncle Ben is even spoken about in the Batman movie, and like you know, there's this thing about making uh, making uh, Aunt May uh, you know, a, a younger woman than she is normally presented, which is normally like this, this aging woman less than twenty years away from the grave at best. Now she's like this. this it's a MILF. They're
1: making a joke about it. Uh, yeah, so, and I I mean I have to say that is an that is an amazing thing because it's simultaneously a reference to classic art may while at the same time I'm going but we're not going to do that. No. Uh so I saw so I liked it, it was kind of, it's kind of positive. I mean they kind
2: of there's some criticism which I feel is valid which they turned his suit into a mini Iron Man suit which takes the place of his Spidey sense the thing about Spider-Man is what essentially is he as a hero he's an acrobat who sticks to walls and glues people down that's basically his power he's not
1: a Um, super powered hero really is he in fact there is is, and I've seen the film enough times twice uh, in a short period of time to kind of back this up it's not that he doesn't have Spider-Sense. It's that the director went, well, we know how Spider-Sense works. There's the slow motion. You do a bit of bullet time. I didn't really want to focus on that. But if you watch, Peter Parker does know things before. He acts as if he has it. They just don't make a big film thing of it. Sorry, carry on. Well, well, but yes, well, the Iron
2: Man well, It wasn't well, is- the deal with me because Spider-Man is not my special thing. Uh, you know, I, I grew up on Spider-Man. I watched Spider-Man cartoons as a kid. I know what Spider-Man is. I will go see a Spider-Man film. Uh, but it's, it ain't Doctor Who, put it that way. So I, I was fine with it. But, you know, I understand why some people are going, he's not really a suit guy. He's, he's gadgets or he's, or he's web liquid. And maybe like a, a, a little bug, dete- bug tracker he'll throw on someone to follow them at some point. But all this kind of drone stuff and multiple function web squirter things.
1: Well, they kind of make a joke out of the fact that he's got no idea how all that stuff works. And yes. In fact, how Tony Stark is completely controlling that. And the way that, that's, the way that Marvel have already built in how they're going to get away with that being in there and in the, the Infinity War. The point is that Marvel are very clever. Uh, unbelievably, I mean, you know, hey, Marvel being clever. When did that happen? What they've done is they've set that up because if you put Spider-Man into the Infinity Wars as the Spider-Man you've described, the classic Spider-Man, he's going to get creamed. But if he's got all this, like, if he's got this Iron Spider outfit, which we already know he has, then he can at least contend.
2: Well, but then a, that's all. No, no, my point is that, that that he is because he has his spider sense. He's very quick, very move, quite strong, and glues things down. He has a lot of utility to him. He, he competes. Uh, yeah. Because he I, I, I was described to me once as, you know, if you think of the Avengers as kind of the ultimate army of superheroes, and like you have your Omega level superheroes at the top, Spider-Man is a sergeant. He's a very experienced enlisted level Avenger, but he's not an officer class. But what he does, he does quite well on, on the ground level he operates on. So, and besides, he always he's always punching above his weight.
1: He's Spider Man. He's just a, he's just a kid. Yeah, you know. But and I think that their strategy, which is amazing that they have this story strategy, because when I think about it, wow, you've really thought about this, guys. Is that after the Infinity War, and they're literally going to pick up Spider Man, whatever the next one's called. They've already confirmed minutes after the end of that movie, they've already also confirmed they're going to have a different guest star main villain uh, not a uh, main hero who's going to be his companion like iron man was in the first one i'm pretty much thinking that's going to be the hulk they're just going to take it right down they're going to say we're going to do spider-man spider-man and somehow he's got a problem with the hulk and to be honest the hulk does make a classic i don't want to hurt this guy but i've got to stop him doing stuff companion in a movie, so I think that's probably the direction they're going to go. But anyway, let's not talk about Spider-Man anymore because it's uh, that's uh, we've talked about the reboot well, aspect and speculating about the future of Spider-Man is for another time and another place. Of course, things don't always get away with stuff as well as Spider-Man has. Uh, I think it's time that we so that we don't end up talking about it at the end again. We address the Ghostbusters as a reboot. Ian, last show you intimated you had stuff to say And we saved it for now So, Ghostbusters 2016 as a reboot, go As a reboot, the
2: fans didn't want a reboot That put them slightly on edge Uh, They felt there was some sort of female... sort of social policy thing going on that and also the trailer was bad we all have to admit the trailer was bad and the trailer got very badly downvoted and i honestly think that sony tried to deflect this by saying misogyny i i certainly there were some youtube comments there but they were a minority of comments i don't think it needed to be in every single interview and every single review of the film hence after when when force awakens came out you, were you aware that, like, the Stormfront website tried to boycott it because of all the Jewish connections that were created to Force Awakens? We didn't, you know, we didn't ask Adam Driver in every single interview what do you think about the fact that Nazis want to boycott the new Star Wars film. But, but but somehow we did have to keep reaffirming, no, no, we're not misogynists, and we hate misogynists. All, all the, that was a bit irritating. And I, I, this is why I'm saying I'm chafing on both sides of this kind of tug of war going on at the moment. No, but in all honesty, Uh, How much money do you think Ghostbusters was going to make? Because Sony wanted their huge hit that could, as you say Leo, wanted to spawn a movie franchise universe. And it was never going to make that much money for a number of reasons. First of all, we, we do have, of course, a generational gap issue we discussed previously. Also, with the fact it's a comedy. Comedy is not universal. It doesn't always translate. We have the fact that China, which is a market holiday, always needs to consider, uh, doesn't like supernatural movies at all uh, as a matter of, of, of public mental health. Uh, so it was never going to get a, a China release. And also, when you look at... The director was Paul Feig, I believe, and Melissa McCartney start. If you look at their careers on a chart, and sort of chart their audience sort of pull with their successive movies, Ghostbusters actually fits quite neatly into a chart of a good overall upward trajectory. It's actually a little peak, Ghostbusters. But in no way was it going to be this multi-runaway, you know, uh, billion-dollar hit. It it was never going to be that. This is
1: Sony mismanagement. Is, is yeah us i i i do think they might have got away with ghostbusters actually if one of the things i noticed when i was rewatching the beginning sequences is those ghosts are too much the ghosts that i saw were like you've i can see you've put a lot of money into these ghost effects and the way that they are i think you could have done with just cutting the budget on that and then and then we might even have Ghostbusters The Reboot Part 2 because it would have made enough money because they wouldn't have spent all that money making the ghosts particularly shiny or their particle effect. You don't need that.
0: An idea just popped into my head. So you talk about the fact that a reboot has a franchise, an eye yeah. to a franchise in it. Even if Ghostbusters didn't have an eye to a franchise in it because it's not going to get a sequel as far as we know, right? Yeah. Um, we could still call it a reboot.
1: Oh, yeah, no, because it has an eye on the franchise.
0: But even if it didn't have an eye on a franchise, could you still call it a reboot? I mean, the way I would say yes, because what you're doing is it's not just a remake as such, because it's completely, it's only taken elements, very small elements of the original and then completely rewriting the story. A remake would follow the same story beats and this doesn't.
1: Yeah, I would say that yes, I think that that's definitely. I think that there is definitely a thing where a reboot has to, in some way, forge its own path. And in Ghostbusters' case, it just happened to be a path that didn't. Essentially, if they'd made a different movie, I mean, they could have made any movie about three women who end up interviewing well, a, a thick, handsome man for a reception job, and done that skit with Thor. And I keep calling him Thor because. <laughs> But he's Thor, you know what he was. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's already like six foot four and incredibly ripped. He could put up with not having his real name used on an obscure podcast, <laughs> so they could have done that in a number of situations. And I think that was where they fell over: is that you shouldn't put in material into a thing like Ghostbusters. It's like if it, it, it's like what people thought that this Seth MacFarlane Star Trek ripoff, the Orville, was going to be like. In fact, apparently it's not. They thought it was just going to be a lot of family guy skits with some Star Trek makeup on. Uh, and apparently it's not that. It's actually a lot better than that. But this is exactly what Ghostbusters was. It was a bunch yeah. of skits with some Ghostbusters rubber nose on.
2: I mean, this kind of refers back, this is casting back a long way in an old run of our podcast. When we reviewed Contemporary to when it came out, the remake of Robocop. Um, we kind of said at the end of it all, you know what? It, it, it it's it, What drags this film down is the fact they called it Robocop. If they called it Drone Policeman, we wouldn't really have an issue with it. And maybe if they just called it, like, uh, science, Scientists Go Mad on Ghosts instead, and just had been its own thing, it would have been like a, a three-star movie that got a bit of a chuckle, and we might have seen it, might not have seen it, and it would have avoided so much controversy.
1: And they but, wouldn't have spent so much money on those special
2: well, effects. Yes. They would have had a more realistic approach to it. They thought this Ghostbusters label was just going to be a license to print money. Slap on, slap it on there. And the fans... thing is, the, the Tron didn't do well with the box office, despite the fact that the fans went into that one very well disposed towards it. There's problems with the Tron movie. A lot of problems with the Tron movie, uh, which perhaps doesn't do its service. But pure fan uh, actually, adoration
1: and excitement uh- does not translate to box office success. As I, I previously stated, and I restate here, Tron is a lot better second time round. It's also a lot better uh, on my Disney DVD, which switches aspect ratio between the bits that are supposed to be widescreen and the bits that are supposed to be IMAX. I rewatched it. I was like, this is a completely different movie. What well, you've taken away the movie that I didn't really like and replaced it with a movie that I actually now have a lot of time for. You What's know, going on?
2: Here's the thing with the the soft reboot that I think, I I would rather they be more cautious about Which is very present in my mind After the most recent Star Wars movie Um, There's something That I find quite ugly In the sort of Positioning of the idea that Oh, after that film with your heroes Where they won, they had really Miserable lives for decades Which is basically What happens in Tron 2 Flynn's life is miserable And then he dies and then we have the new latest Star Wars film, which I will not comment on at this venue. But uh, it leaves a, a bitter taste in the fans' mouth that you've, in some ways, uh, that, that sellers it worse than a reboot which just
1: pretends the original didn't exist. What's. Right. I'm going to. Um... Come back to something that you said in our Robocop reboot show, where we did eventually stop wailing on Robocop 2014. And <laughs> just like, oh my God, we gave that a kicking. And eventually discussed the general atmosphere of reboots at the time. Terminator, well, the film that was later Terminator Genesis, had been announced. We didn't know anything about it, we just knew it was going to happen. And you said, I think they'll be fine as long as then you gave a laundry list of things they didn't do that in fact led to that film not being fine at all. Yes, Ian, you were right on the internet one time because you said, hey, you know the thing they really need to do? They need to ditch all this Skynet type time travel stuff. The core of the Terminator is there's a robot that wants to kill someone and it's pretty unstoppable and then they have to work out how to stop it. It happens that in the original Terminator there's a the whole Skynet time travel, having a baby thing, but you don't need that. In fact, for a reboot, they really need to junk that and do something completely different. Because the Skynet thing has become a millstone. These are your words, and how did those words echo in your ears when you actually (laughs) caught Terminator: Genesis? Yes,
2: but then they had Skynet played by Matt Smith, who's Doctor Who. So now, obviously, I have to love the idea. But (laughs) those are saved words, Uh, old Ian. Well
1: done there. Yeah, I mean, I I was I tried to watch the Genesis again uh, to prepare for this, and I got. 40 minutes I was like I can't do this I just cannot I cannot get any further this is one of the things about these reboots I happened to catch Clash of the Titans half of that the 2010 version on television Ghostbusters I didn't get to the end of some of them I can't even bring my eyes to look at them when reboots go bad they really go bad but then, when they go well, they seem to go really well as well. So there's a bit of a... Playing with reboots is playing with fire, I would contend. Yeah,
2: but, but as someone who's a fan of, of old properties that are getting rebooted, uh, I, get, I get anxious uh, about soft reboot and hard reboot. And hard reboot is, is kind of a thing. I think Clash of the Titans, it is about the Clash of the Titans. It's about the Kraken versus the Medusa. It, that, that is the titular clash going on. So you, you kind of have to tell the same story again in some fashion where these two things have to come together. Uh, so that, that was one example where they kind of had to do the story over again, but, you know, in their own
1: more blunt well we'll, take. As Clash of the Titans is a 2010 film, we shall discuss it again when we come to the films of 2010, which actually is littered with 80s reboots 2010, which is why I've kind of skipped over some of the stuff we've got in here because they come up again.
0: There's a reboot or a reboot concept which was going to happen and didn't happen which was Alien 3. Yes. So this was a reboot midway through a franchise, which I believe hasn't happened before, am I right? Or
1: uh, It's difficult to say because, as we've discussed in this podcast, what is a reboot anyway? But, but yeah, the interesting I mean... thing about that is that you're
0: taking two films to say they exist,
1: ignore all
0: the rest, because the franchise has just gone down and down and down and down, and take it from its from its high peak and then just reset it from there as opposed to right from the start which i thought was a fantastic concept well, it it
1: ah, well that has happened before then because uh, okay here we go i will cl- we will close out this episode i think that because we around about christmas time this this year being 2018 we are going to do a that Star Wars show so we will get to discuss all of this stuff about Star Wars at that point but now that is very interesting uh, how they've handled the franchise but I think that's more down to how they've handled the franchise and not necessarily a reboots issue so we'll close out this out with a consideration of the Vin Diesel problem uh, which is the fact that Vin Diesel seems to be an actor whose most successful properties and franchises all exist in a twilight state of constant rebooting Let us take, I present uh, for your delectation, the Fast and the Furious franchise, which has rebooted twice in the third movie and the fourth, and now is on its eighth installment. This is a movie that did one, then it went slightly downhill with two, then it jumped the shark with three, then it jumped the shark again with four, and yet still has four more movies going on, which have now made more money than God. And it's like, well, how did he even get there? It's had so many false starts. I don't even understand it. Vin Diesel then, of course, has made the Triple X franchise in which he made the first one because he didn't want to return for the second one. They kind of did a soft reboot that acknowledged that that had happened, but then killed his character. But then they regretted killing his character. So they brought his character back to life for a third movie. This is a movie with three movies, a franchise with three movies in it two of which are reboots. And there's going to be a fourth movie, a fourth triple X movie, which presumably is not now going to be a reboot. But that means that as of the next one, roughly, well, 50% of those movies are reboots. Then we have Riddick. Pitch Black was never supposed to have a sequel. It was supposed to be a one-off. So by necessity, when they did Chronicles of Riddick, they kind of were forced into a sort of reboot because they wanted Riddick to be in the Riddick universe. And they hadn't really thought about what that is. So it was a completely different approach to the same material, I would argue, sort of like an eye on the franchise, known property. Yeah, that's a reboot. But then that didn't go over so well, lost a lot of money. So in the third one, they tried to go back to being gritty, uh, mistook misogyny for gritty, and made the third one, which is another kind of soft reboot that acknowledges everything up to that point has happened, but again, changes direction in terms of tone, back to something more like the first, but with more woman-hating. So, Mm. and this is Vin Diesel. This is where Vin Diesel's career is at. It's all reboots all the way down. George, is he the reboot king? It's hard to say. I mean, I'd say
2: Fast and the Furious is anyone one of those three franchises that's thriving on all cylinders. Triple X, he's returned to the Triple X franchise after a considerable absence. It was a, it was pretty much a dead series until suddenly he decided, oh, that's a property I'm in that I can invoke and come back with a new movie. Much like Stallone does with Rambo and, yeah. and, and you know, his, his famous boxing series so uh, he was just looking through his back catalogue about what he could do I think his heart is very much he wants to do more Riddick but he'll do more Triple X because that got good box at the time I don't think it's a case of a reboot I think it's a case of he left the sequel he wasn't in the sequel they got someone else in because they wanted to make some more money out of this because Triple X did quite well and then it it did its thing I think it was more kind of a course correction it's like back to its roots by bringing him in again it's, kind of, it's like bringing Arnie but back that's, into that's, the that's,
1: that's, that's reboot I mean yes I suppose the one thing well the thing about Triple X Return of Xander Cage, Triple X one is very much, we're ripping off James Bond, but we've put some snowboarding in it. Uh, I haven't actually seen State of the Union all the way through, and this was what tells me it's a terrible reboot because it's one of those ones that like, I can't bring my eyes to look at that. But then the third one is like, hey, this is Triple X, but we've made it a little bit more like the Fast and the Furious. Uh, it's like the Triple X, we're just going to mush these together into a big kind of. Fast and Furious Jeff that's
2: not necessarily a bad idea lots of people
1: like the Fast and the Furious and they're going to go see this because Vin Diesel's in it and they know him on the Fast and the Furious and he's doing more of the same thing oh, here oh no I yeah I totally agree with that but I'm just saying so yeah and, and I think yeah it is weird because he's now like thrown out I mean one of the things I love about it is the failed project includes that last Witch Hunter movie which is literally a movie based on a D&D character he made I think that yeah I think that Vin Diesel kind of exemplifies everything that's wrong with you know, all the wrong reasons to do a reboot. Vin Diesel's hit them all, and even tries to start off a franchise on the wrong foot. He's the man who knows how to do things wrong. If, if even be- even
2: the, the cinematic universe, he's a failure because that's exactly when they did the second uh, Redick film. They had the tie-in video game, they had the anime short.
1: It was suddenly it was a it was oh, like yeah. add ad
2: water, spontaneous expanded
1: universe. I think i'm wondering whether Marvel did take some notes about that and the matrix that if you're going to do an expanded universe. Don't make it a cross-platform, expanded universe. Just stick to it's an expanded universe in films. And our video games have nothing to do with that because people have tried the thing where it's like, yeah, because actually people forget that Riddick has in fact not just been in, you know, Pitch Black, The Chronicles of Riddick, uh, Misogyny Today. (laughs) He's also been in a cartoon which was quite good and two video games which were quite good and all gel as part of a single universe. But, hey, who's got time to be a video game fan and a movie fan? You know, some of us have got kids. So that's just the way that that goes. So I think Hmm. that, yes. Justin, what do you think about all this? You've been quiet for too long.
0: Yeah, I have purposely because I haven't got much for a frame of reference. Both of those (laughs) series of movies bypass me. Fast and Furious kind of seemed like a bit of a chav series to me. And the whole Chronicles are really thing.
2: Too heavy worry, for me. I don't watch many films
1: either, but I blag being on a film <laughs> podcast for two and, no, and a half years. I think that uh, I'm I've, the Fast and the Furious, uh, I love the fact that you're a chav franchise. What boggles my mind about Fast and the Furious is that they made this one movie once. It was just like supposed to be about a thing. Someone had read an article and went, "Yeah, maybe we're going to picture about that," and now it owns the world. And uh, yeah, I guess I'm a meta fan of Fast and the Furious franchise, like six and seven are without doubt two of the most absurd. And I've seen some absurd action movies. I love Luke Besson. So you can bet I've seen some unrealistic action sequences in my time. But the Fast and the Furious just takes the biscuit. Yeah, we're going to take a bunch of muscle cars and, like, parachute them out of a plane. And, so, well, and yet they can do no wrong. Weird. But there
2: we go. Justin, part question. As, as a horror connoisseur, what do you feel was the horror reboot that that landed the best for you? Yeah, that's a good question, actually. What is that? Oh, God,
0: the horror reboot that landed the best. Uh, Eat the latest Evil Dead. That was very good as in film-wise, it, it changed its... It was a reboot, in the fact, it was a very tonal shift. It lost all its comic edge to it, but it was very dark and very, very twisted.
1: Yeah, um, I hated. So I thought that...
2: <laughs> you didn't like it?
1: Uh, not at all. How, how did you feel about
2: the original, Justin? The original Evil we Dead?
0: Yeah, I mm. loved it. Loved it. I thought it was great. That, the the remake, and the TV series that came along from it afterwards as well. Absolutely fantastic.
1: I have to say... Now, this is going to be weird, because I don't suppose people view it as a reboot. But I think that Hellraiser 5 was a good reboot from Hellraiser 4. Yeah, well, that's
0: interesting. I mean,
1: Hellraiser 5
0: is probably one of my favourite Hellraisers. It's it's so well done. And it is... Hellraiser 1, 2, 3 and 4 were all following this whole cinematic kind of go. And by the time 4 came along, it kind of crashed reproduction values. By the time we get to five, there is a tonal shift because from five onwards, it's straight to video market. It's um, rewriting scripts that kind of weren't originally Hellraisers, and so you can almost see that is the second part of the Hellraiser series coming along. Um, a great, but that one is.
2: There's a great term oh? you used. There's a great term you used, which was Hel- which is Hellraiser Presents, to describe
1: the, the latter half of the Hellraiser franchise. Yeah, yes, exactly. Perfect. So. And I think this is the thing. I think that uh, sometimes studios have learned from doing stuff like that. And, uh, I think where, where a reboot is going to go south is where we say, Hey, let's take this incredibly beloved thing that people really embrace and then take this other thing that's doing quite well, but is absolutely nothing to do with that beloved thing. And then let's just smoosh them together and everybody loved that. Right. And it's like, no, that doesn't work. Um, where it does work is where it's like, no, we love the original. We really love the original, but we've got a different idea. Uh, we think that maybe it's gone off track and we just want to bring it back into the fold and give people what they want. When people have that as their focus, I think it works out. And as we discussed uh, previously with the A-Team and Dread and Tron, for that matter, doesn't always capture the imagination of an audience but at least you have your artistic integrity and in hollywood isn't that the most important thing interestingly you mentioned the matrix earlier and
0: someone was telling me they were going to there's a new matrix being made Uh, and if that's the case at the same time that could
1: be a sequel and a reboot exactly at the same time it fits they can even call it the matrix rebooted and that would be completely on trend So there we go. I think we've uh, rebooted ourselves into a position where we have no more reboot. We need to go away, think about what we've done so far, and then maybe come back with a show, I don't know, centering on some key points about a particular year in the past decade. I think that might be a new direction that we could take this into. Uh, What do you think, Ian?
2: Well, I, I think our fans, such as they are, need to go to the forums and vent their anger and frustration at this rebooted programme and how it doesn't honour the traditions of the original one at all, and uh, it's just sullied their childhood. And, uh, uh, and where might they go to do that here? Well, one place they could go would be our Facebook page. You can find our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash revenge of the 80s kids. And that's 80s as in numbers, so it's S... But podcasts are what it's all about and to find a full archive stretching back from the very dawn of time all we have to do is point your web browser at the 80s kids and that's 80s as in com. once there you'll be able to subscribe using the podcast aggregator of your choice or stream and download individual episodes directly to your PC for dark reasons of your own if people want to subscribe directly to the castleo uh, how might they do that
1: Well, Ian, all they have to do is set up a new feed in their podcast aggregator and point it to feeds.feedburner.com forward slash revenge of the 80s kids. And that's 80s as in numbers again. So 80s. If people are so impressed by the audio they've heard today, they would consider offering their support on Patreon to make the world of the 80s kids brighter still they could check out our patreon campaign at patreon.com forward slash the 80s kids and that's 80s the word but justin uh, you have a life beyond the 80s kids and so if people want to find you in the general hoi polloi of modern life where might they go on the internet to do that uh,
0: in order to find me you may find me at sinisterhorrorcompany.com or find my own website at jrpark.co.uk
1: And you know what? I may start and put like a Friends of the 80s Kids column on the 80s Kids page, uh, the blogspot one, so that we can all link together and uh, people can find each other very easily. Uh, I think that might be a good idea. In fact, by the time this, uh, as it were, goes to air, it's probably already happened. So uh, you could go there and find that at that place. So for now, though, from the Reboot Kids and uh, oh look it's vin diesel coming through the door oh no we've decided to go in a different direction he's sacked it's ice cube oh no we wouldn't do that to you no from us i think it is time to say farewell and to look forward to the future of 2010 uh, bye bye Uh, farewell
2: i'm a in new direction and it's towards the end credits
1: (laughs) see you later